This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. If you are a newcomer to this gathering, let you know my name is Dee Dee Bacon. And uh, it falls upon me to guide us as we transition from worship primarily centered around music to now worship where we will be opening our hearts and our minds to what God has to say to us as we investigate His Word and what has been revealed to us in the Bible. If you didn't know this already, I have uh, two girls and two boys, and it's my experience that there is definitely a difference between boys and girls majorly different between boys and girls. Doing research for this uh, message, I came across this tagline that says, showed pictures and videos, reasons why girls live longer than boys. And of course, there's science behind it and investigation behind it and all that, but uh, I came across two videos that I think captured some of the reasons why girls live longer than boys. Check this out. This is two boys playing here. <laughs> Reasons why girls live longer than boys. Here's this other this other video in the kitchen. Two boys, two brothers probably. <laughs> question is, uh, who's little brother? I think we all know who little brother is, right? The one in orange, big brother's trying to boss. But reasons why girls live longer than boys. Now, you see something like this, and I don't know about you, but I, I immediately start asking myself, what is going on? I mean, what are they thinking? You see certain types of behavior by certain people at certain times, and, and that's a question that maybe pop into your mind, especially when the behavior seems rather strange, ludicrous, crazy, you don't understand. Ask the question, what are they thinking? Someone said, they weren't. <laughs> exactly, they weren't. And that's a very important question to ask whenever asking uh, yourself, how can I understand why these people are behaving the way they are? How can I understand why they're saying the things they're saying? How can I understand why this person is doing what they're doing? When you're really interested in finding out meaning and, and, and trying to really grasp what's going on, it's important to do some work to say, okay, what led to this? What's, what's happening here? What are they thinking? What are they thinking? Now, I want you to take that question, what are they thinking, and I want you to now turn that in terms of your understanding of the things written for us in the Bible. You see, the Bible, while we read it in English, was not written in English. And the Bible, while we read it as something that we want to apply to our life now and the way we live now, it was written to a people that weren't living the way we live. 
and didn't have the same customs and the same assumptions and the same, perhaps, life practices that we have. While they were human beings and while God communicated a truth that, that is, is definitely unchanging by culture, if we really want to understand what's going on in the Bible, it's important for us when we read a passage of Scripture to do the work of asking the question, what was going on, what was happening, what were they thinking? See, too many times I think people get into trouble when looking at the Bible and we read it from the lens, from the perspective of our Western culture, our America 2019, Cincinnati, East Side, wherever we are, and we read things in the Bible and we assume they see the world we see the same way we did and they have these practices. That, that's, that's not good. That's not true. You have to do the work of asking the question, what was going on, what was happening, what were they thinking? Bible school, we, we used to call this setting up the context, right? If you really want to understand what someone means, you have to set the context. You have to, to, to set up the situation and, and, and set up the, the whole picture in order you can gain the, the full meaning of what is said. So it's important as we, we continue on and kind of wrap up our journey through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. He was, if you'd like, a preacher who was assigned by God to speak for God to the people of God at a time when the people of God were in immense crisis. Isaiah was the preacher to the people of God, the Israelites, the Jews. He was their preacher during a time in which they were under immense pressure. They were enduring crisis after crisis catastrophe after catastrophe. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 53. It's the, the loss of it. We've been primarily looking at, at Scriptures that relate and connect to the story of Christmas, and we've seen how, how a promise made by Isaiah to the people of God in their circumstances, how that finds its fuller meaning in the coming of Jesus. It's kind of like opening a present. There's the first gift, but then you realize, oh, there's a real gift within the gift that's really the best gift of all. Well, a lot of times what Isaiah would say, he would give a prophecy that would encourage the people then, it was pertinent for the people then, but also then find fuller, more meaningful application for Jesus' followers later because it pointed to Jesus. And Isaiah chapter 53 is just one of those passages of Scripture. It's not a traditional Christmas text, but it is definitely a text that relates to a promise that we can take, we can be reminded of not too far out from Christmas. You see, Isaiah preaches the message of God to the people of God when they were about to have some really bad things happen to them. In fact, most of Isaiah's message is what we would say bad news. He tells the people of God, hey, God is about to bring destruction upon you. God is about to bring judgment upon you. God is, heaven forbid I say this, but this is what it is, God is going to pour out his wrath on you because you have violated the agreement you made with God. It's called a covenant. A covenant is agreement. The people of the Jews, the Israelites, had made this agreement. And the agreement was that if the Jews are faithful to God, God would honor them because he made them his people. And they were to live as an example for the entire world to see what it means to live right with God. And that's why he gave them the, the law 
and he gave them all the stuff we would call the Old Testament. But they failed on their part of the agreement, and God warns them time and time again, hey, if you keep this up, you keep this up, you're going to suffer the consequences. There's going to be wrath. There's going to be judgment. But the story is, is that the people of, of God, the Israelites, they failed to honor God. They turn away from following God and instead compromise their faith by worshiping idols and following the, the practices of religion, uh, same as the people around them, the foreigners around them. And so what you have happening in this period of time, in the 7th century BC, you have a situation where the people of God endure the wrath of God. First, the, the ten tribes living in the north part of the kingdom of Israel, they had split Israel and Judah had two parts, Judah in the south, Israel in the north. Well, the northern kingdom gets invaded by these harsh, harsh people called the Assyrians. They're the bullies of the neighborhood in that time, and they, they invade Israel. They cart off all the people into captivity, and they never get to return. They're completely dissipated and gone. The southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is, you know, Jerusalem's the place where the people of God were encouraged to, to worship God. It's the seat of the king who was established by God of a descendant of David and who was promised you will always have a man on the throne of the people of God. Well, Ju Judah teeters back and forth. When they are faithful to God based on the leadership of their king, God blesses them and they're protected. When they fail to be obedient to God, they suffer the consequences. And during this time, God brings about judgment upon the people of Judah through a nation, the nation of Babylon. Babylon invades the Judah, cuts off all the people in a number of waves into Babylon to serve the Babylonians, to live in captivity, in exile, away from their home. Their temples destroyed, their cities destroyed, their king is removed from power. It's not a good situation. I think maybe perhaps if you want to exercise your imagination, let's just imagine that the powers, the access powers of the World War II, they win instead of the allies. So instead of the U.S. and Great Britain and all the, the, the allies, Germany and Italy and Japan, they win. And they invade our nation and they caught us off to various parts of the world to serve, to be subservient to them, and they don't allow us to sing our national anthem and to celebrate our holidays. They don't allow us to practice our religion in public. Can you imagine what that would be like? Well, that is what the people of God, the Jews, were experiencing. These were the people that were told, you're God's people. God is the big, is the God of, of the universe. There's none like him, yet they see these pagans win, and especially for those who had been faithful to God as Israelites, they're enduring the suffering because of their foolish leadership. Now they're in captivity. Now they're in pain. They're now in darkness. So that's the situation in which Isaiah preaches this message, and the message we're going to look at is part of a section, begins in chapter 49 and ends in chapter 55, and it's, it's, it's good news for the faithful amongst bad news that they're living in. And God says in, in this section through Isaiah, hey, those of you that are in exile, living in darkness, those of you that are enduring pain and suffering, as you follow me, don't give up hope because I promise you, 
My purposes will not be thwarted. I will restore you to your land. I will lead you out of exile, and I will bring you back. I will bring you back, and I will fulfill the promises I made to your ancestors, the promises I made to you. I will bring you back and restore you as a nation, as my chosen one. And through you, through you, I will fulfill my promise to bring life and light and salvation to the world. And then there's this, this other part of the prophecy where Isaiah gets into this description of the servant of God. And this part of the section, Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, is, is, is called the suffering servant. And Isaiah paints this picture with poetic language of an individual who is faithful to God, yet suffers for his, in his faithfulness. And in his suffering, God redeems that suffering and brings about an amazing work through the faithful suffering servant. Which, which was intended, which was a message intended to encourage those who were in captivity to remain faithful, right? That was the point. It said, hey, your suffering has a purpose. If you continue to be faithful to God, if you continue to endure the pain that you're going through, but don't give up on following God, even though you're under extreme situations, then God will bring about His great work through that faithfulness. Isaiah chapter 53 Let's, let's follow along with me as I read along, as I read through this. Let's journey through. This is a little longer piece of Scripture, but it's, it's just so beautiful. I just feel like we need to have it all. Isaiah 53, 1, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up, all, took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils of the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 
Now you have to hear this and you have to ask first of all, okay, what were they thinking? What's going on? And you realize this is a message to a people of God who are suffering, trying to be faithful while they're in exile. And so the question is, well, who is this servant? And really, the logical explanation is that the servant is a picture of the faithful in exile, those who are following God amidst the difficulties of being separated from their land, of not seeing the life that God had originally promised when they had settled in the land. These were, a, this was a, a picture of an encouragement saying, look, I'm at work through this. Even though you are suffering, I will not be thwarted, God says. If you remain faithful, your faithfulness will re result in the removal of sin from the world. And so if you are receiving this message, you're a Jew in exile, this was a call to, for you to remain faithful. Now, like I said, this prophecy is kind of like a, a, like a present that has a present within it. And you open up the first one, and that's applied to the people that first received it. But there's an even greater present within that goes beyond the message of hope to the people of God at that time. And what I love about Scripture is that when you see one passage of Scripture in the Old Testament then be quoted and referred to in another passage of Scripture in the New Testament in the time of Jesus, in the time of the church. And so we jump 700 plus years forward in time, Isaiah, now we jump up to the time of the book of Acts, the first century. We're talking AD 35, 40-ish, somewhere around there. There's a man who is making a journey. He's on a return trip from worshiping God in Jerusalem. He's not a Jew. He's a foreigner, but he worships the God of the Jews. He worships the living God. He believes in the scriptures that we read, we call the Old Testament. He's a foreigner, and he's a man of wealth. In fact, he's the secretary of the treasury for the country that he comes from. And the country he comes from is called Ethiopia in the Bible, but it's not Ethiopia that, that we would say today. It's really a, a kingdom that's south of Egypt. It's down the river on the River Nile. A wealthy country, a formidable country. And he's a man of high esteem. He's a man of means. He's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. Those of you that need to do some research as to what that means, you can do it. I will not describe it here. He's an Ethiopian eunuch who has gone up to Jerusalem to worship God. And he's on his way back. And you say, well, how do you really know? I know he's a secretary of the treasury. How do you really know that he's, he's, he's really wealthy? Well, you get clues in the text. If you understand the culture of the day, you know that it, hardly anyone owned a personal Bible. And if you did, you had to have some wealth, some means. Most Bibles were owned by communities. So the Bible for the community was in the synagogue, and everyone in that community kind of had access to it when they went to church. Well, here's a guy who had his personal Old Testament. And believe it or not, he's traveling, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, God was at work through the church. Jesus had raised from the dead, and he had commissioned his disciples, his apostles, to go out into the world and preach 
what is called the good news. One of those individuals was a man named Philip. Philip was assigned by the Spirit of God to go to this road, the south road that heads towards Egypt and Ethiopia. He was assigned to go there and to look for this man. And he goes and he runs across the entourage of this man. This man's reading the Bible and he's reading from Isaiah. Here's a little side note. In Bible times, you read the Bible out loud. The Bible was meant to be written, out, spoke, spoken out loud. So if you want to read your Bible in the way that they did in Bible times, read it out loud. It really does release something when you do that. Just an aside. But he's reading out loud, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter what? 53. Let's, let's catch up with the story in Acts. Chapter 8, verse 30. Oh, okay, there we go. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, so he runs up to the, like the limousine, and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his sh its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, just quickly, you might say, you know, I, I did some cross-referencing. Those of you that are Bible nerds will do this, right? You'll be like, okay, this is what he's quoting. It's Isaiah chapter 53, 5 through 7. It's not exactly the words that I see in the Bible that I read. Why is that? Well, it's because the eunuch is reading from a Greek translation of the Hebrew. It's called a Septuagint. And so he's reading a Greek translation. That's why it's a little, maybe the wording's a little different. But he's still reading from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 through 7, the passage of Scripture we just looked at. Eunuch asks Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Who is the servant? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the what? Good news about Jesus. <laughs> Remember I talked about the gift within the gift? Here's the, the real gift that comes from this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture is talking about the faithful servant of God who will suffer who will suffer because of things he did not deserve, but instead will suffer for things we deserve, and he will suffer and be the one who will provide a way for all of us to be right with God through faith in him. And he will make that way possible because he will die on the cross for us, but most importantly, he will not stay dead, but come alive. And I don't know about you, but if a man says, I will die and I'll come back to life again, and he does, then I'm going to be paying attention to him. And in fact, I'm going to say, I'm with that guy. That's good news. And here's why it's good news. The Ethiopian eunuch, he's a God seeker, right? You think, well... He's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to have access to go and worship God in the temple. He's going to have access to be able to express his faith because he's a God seeker. He's a good guy. He's got a Bible. Well, if you do a little research, what you discover that while the Ethiopian eunuch is a God seeker, he's still held at arm's length 
from being able to really know God. You're like, what do you mean? Well, first of all, he is not a Jew, so therefore he's not allowed to go to the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice. In other words, he can worship God, but he better do it at the outer court. But also, he's a eunuch, which means physically he's unable to really take the steps he would have loved to take, I'm sure, in honoring God and offering sacrifice and seeking forgiveness of sin because he's not allowed even to get very close to the Holy of Holies. Here's a man who wants God in his life but is unable to have God in his life because of he, do he doesn't qualify. He's not the right race and he's not the right physical condition. Maybe you can relate to that. Now, you're here at church today, and I assume you're at church because you believe in God. I don't know the depth of your faith. I don't know the uh, importance of your faith. I don't know the, the ins and outs of your commitment. But I've got to assume you're here at church because at least you have a belief that there is a God. And that you perhaps are interested in knowing about God and what He has to say to you and what He has to give to you because you're here. You're here because maybe you have some belief in God. And that belief in God may be something that you haven't given serious thought to, but in the depths of your heart, you are seeking to get close to Him. You're seeking life purpose. You're seeking uh, the answer to the question of death. You're seeking this help in living because your life is a mess that the truth is, is that while you on the surface look like you have it all together underneath, it's all fallen apart, that really you're not right with people in your life and you definitely don't feel like you're right with God. And I talk to people all the time and they've said to me, well, Didi, I, I can't come to church because you don't know what I've done. I'm like, dude, you don't know what I've done and they still have me. I can't come to church because I need to clean up my act. I can't come to church because if I come, the walls will fall in on me. I'm not good enough. And you know what? Truth be told, you're right. We're all Ethiopian eunuchs that we have things in our life that hinder us from accessing God. We're all disqualified because of the choices we made and because of the condition that we put ourselves in. That's the truth. And that's bad news. But the good news is that God has made a way through Jesus. And Isaiah 53 describes that way. What we deserved, we don't get because of Jesus. Where we're unqualified, He qualifies us. And the means is that God sends his servant, Jesus, into the world, who is fully man and fully God, gives himself up, defeats death once and for all, and provides a way for us to be made right with God so that we can live with God and we can live by the Spirit of God in a life purpose that has, has, has meaning and joy. And this is what Philip explains to the Ethiopian eunuch. He says, starting from that very passage of Scripture, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, he says, look, 
Here is the full application, the present that was really within the present that you can open up and access. And is an explanation of the, of the message, the good news of Jesus, he tells him. This is how it can happen. And we know this because we're told in the scripture that all of a sudden they pass a river, a body of water, a pond or whatever, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, whoa, whoa, hold up, here's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? What's stopping me from responding to what I know is to be true and believe? And Philip says, nothing. Gets into the water and is baptized. Hey, just a little aside, we'll talk more about this next year. Tim Peace is going to address this. The word baptize literally means to immerse under. For some reason, well, we can get into the reason, but uh, when the, the, the translators of the Bible translated it to English, they decided with the word baptize to transliterate, not translate. You know the difference? Transliterate is take the original word and make an English word equivalent. So baptizo is the original word, so they just will make baptizo, we'll make the word baptize. To translate it is to say the word baptizo means immerse. So when the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, what's stopping me from being baptizo? He's saying, what's stopping me from being immersed, dipped under? Now, understanding that, this makes sense then to describe verse 39 because it says this. When they came up out of the water, why would they have to come up out of the water? Well, because he went uh, down under because the word baptize means to dip under. So when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip. Maybe this is where the people at Star Trek got the transportation thing. <laughs> anyway, so there was a miracle. And the eunuch did not see him, but I want us all to focus on this. But went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. What is the result of the good news of Jesus rejoicing? I am sick and tired of the bad press Christians are taking, and some of it is deserved. I'm sick and tired of seeing polls that young people think that Christians are uh, narrow-minded and judgmental, homophobic, or ultra-conservative, right-wing, terrible people. I'm tired of it. The truth is, is that Christians need to be marked by one thing, joy. Because we have the good news. And if there's no joy in your life because of Jesus, then maybe you need to re-examine your understanding of what it means to be made right with God. Maybe you need to take a step back and recognize the jaws of the teeth of condemnation that you have been given a free pass on, not because you deserve it, no, because you deserve punishment, but because of what Jesus has done, and that is good news. You and I were once are like the Ethiopian eunuch. We could get to God kind of sort of close, but not close enough. And it's only Jesus that makes a way through faith. And when we're baptized, filled with the Spirit, our life needs to be a life of rejoicing. 
And so when we have Christmas time, I want you to remember not just all the typical Isaiah passages, the Emmanuel, for unto us a child is born, all that. I want you to remember Isaiah 53. Why? Because Isaiah 53 talks about the purpose of the child to come that he will be the suffering servant who will bring about joy. And the reason why we can have joy in Christmas, the reason why Jesus believers can have joy in Christmas, because we have been saved by grace through faith. So I uh, was tired of reading all my heavy technical Bible book stuff. I, I'm not saying that, but I was reading a lot of books that was blowing my mind. So I'm like, I need a break. I need to read something fun and joy-filled. So I picked up The Hobbit. And I read The Hobbit. It's like my re-re-re-re-read it. I've read it like four or five times. I don't know. And then I said, well, why stop at The Hobbit? This is so great. And I went to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Uh, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. And uh, all of that was awesome. And, the, and, and if you don't know, if you're familiar with the, the books, if you're familiar with the, the movie, the author of the books, Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, a man named J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, a preacher, Tim Keller, makes a note about something that Tolkien said regarding writing a, a story, the power of story. He said, there are stories that we read that have a certain formula that, that bring about joy in our lives. We read these stories, and typically they follow the same pattern. The stories that bring us joy, the stories that, that move us to tears, the story that captivate our imagination and our hearts are stories that follow this pattern. First of all, you have some kind of crisis that looks like there's no hope. And just at the last minute, just when, when you thought there was nothing going to solve the problem, there's salvation. There's, there, there is a, there is a, there's victory. Life is restored from death. Victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat. And, and if you read The Hobbit and the, and, and the Lord of the Rings, you see that. And typically, the victory is brought about by an unassuming hero, an individual that, that's not necessarily qualified by the world as to be the one to bring about salvation, but is one that no one would look for. And that's why he, he loves, the, he talks about The Hobbit, right? The little people. He says, there are stories that capture our attention, but he says, those stories are really, I've come to realize, those stories are really um, just ripples in the water to a main story, a truth that is embedded in each one of us. Those stories bring us joy because they point back to a truth regarding the story of God. Tolkien uses the, fur, the, the term eucatastrophe, eucatastrophe. There's, there's good news, right? Euangelion means the joining, but he says these stories can be described as eucatastrophes. And in talking about a eucatastrophe, this, this is what he says. Check this out. He said there's a eucatastrophe of the eucatastrophes. There's a story that all stories of joy are connected to. There is a story in all of the stories. There is a bass string to the human heart, and those stories can, can kind of make it ver reverberate a little bit, but can't pluck it. See, the story of Jesus is the only story that will pluck that string so the whole heart, will, whole heart never stops reverberating and vibrating with joy. See, the story of Jesus is good news. Why? Because it's true. It happened. 
We don't sing about fantasy. We sing about events that happened. The child was born in Bethlehem in a manger, a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. The child grew, and the records show that he preached and he taught and he performed miracles. He was identified by the Spirit of God working his life at places that we can go to, I've been to. And he was hung on a cross because the Romans were acting on behalf of the religious leaders of the day, and he was hung on a cross and executed, and his execution was for the purpose of suffering something he didn't deserve to suffer because it was promised in Isaiah 53. And he was buried in the tomb of a friend, and a rich friend, just as promised, and he came back to life on the third day. And the question is, is that if you catch on to this story, it is the story of all stories that brings nothing but joy. And as you live by that, as you commit to that, as you remember that, you live a life that can only be, can only come from God. A life available to all of us, even though we are far off, we can be close. God with us. So this Christmas, if you're a Jesus follower, I encourage you to think about these things. And I encourage you to let the joy of the Lord pour out of you. This is not Pollyanna stuff, right? Because remember, this passage of Scripture was written to people in dark times. This is real-life, powerful, life-changing stuff. Stop complaining. Stop whining. Stop living without faith and trust in God. Live for God. If you haven't made that commitment, I encourage you, I'm telling you, take up the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. Here's water. Here's water. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that means the one he promised to, the Son of the living God, you can know God and be made right with God. Be baptized, immersed. That's the offer that we're up. That's the reason for joy. Mike and Alan, two of our elders, are going to come forward, and they're going to be up front. I'm going to ask that you just stay seated right now. I'm going to pray. Mike and Alan are going to be up front. I'm going to pray. And after we pray, we have the privilege of witnessing another baptism. So we started with it. We end with it. And Didi talked about it a little bit. How about that, huh? It's like we planned it. <laughs> no. Alan and Mike are available to pray with you. Uh, we're we're going to have a baptism now. Come on out. We're going to have a baptism now. After we have a baptism, we'll pray. And after we pray, we'll be dismissed. If you'd like to pray in person with one of our guys, they're available to, to minister to you. If you'd like to share with them uh, perhaps uh, questions you have regarding your step, uh, next step in your faith journey, you have questions about God, the Bible, what I've shared, you want to be baptized too, let them know, and they'll direct you in the place that you need to be. But let's turn our attention to my good friend, Tim, the rumbler. You guys know me. This is Keta Wells, and she has come to make a very important decision in her life. So uh, go ahead. Um, I've just experienced through life that I've had a bad tendency of making poor choices, bad decisions. Um, going through the ups and downs and maybe not handling things the best that I could. And ultimately living a lifestyle that I know is toxic to me. And um, in the past couple of years, I've really been studying scripture a lot. And I've made the decision that I 
fully accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And uh, I couldn't be any happier, happier to make that declaration. Woo! With that, uh, you have uh, confessed that Jesus is Lord, and uh, you take him as your Savior, and you dedicate your life to being his disciple. Yes? Yes. Oh, awesome. Well, let's baptize you then. Uh, go ahead. And uh, so in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you uh, for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. What we have witnessed is the good news. It's good news because, uh, as Taylor said, uh, we find a way to be right with you that you offer that we don't deserve. I pray you'll bless Taylor. I thank you for her. pray that you fill her with joy, her spirit filled with the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells with her. I pray that you will bless us with wisdom and uh, help us, her church family, to come around and encourage her to, to um, help her share her faith, to be a disciple of Jesus' maker that you all call us to be. Uh, it is good, and it's a good day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.